Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, August 18th. A blockbuster announcement out of Ottawa yesterday as the finance minister announces he's stepping down. We get reaction from Global's Ottawa bureau chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. Reopening schools is going to be one of the biggest symbolic steps towards loosening the lockdown. How are reopened schools in Denmark keeping children safely apart? We'll talk to an epidemiologist about what we can learn as we get closer to back to school September. With school resuming soon, many parents and families are now trying to decide what's right for their child's safety and education. Enter MindFuel, an online educational resource that can help. We find out what they have to offer educators and parents alike. Since 2016, a team at the Rehabilitation Robotics Lab at the University of Alberta started working on a project that would give people in rural Alberta access to specialist rehabilitation assessments. We found out how it'll work from Martin Ferguson Pell, professor at the Faculty of Rehabilitative Medicine at the U of A. And at the start of the pandemic, we were sanitizing groceries, surfaces, packages, pretty much everything. Do we still need to? We'll find out from Dr. David Dowdy, an associate professor of epidemiology at Johns Hopkins University. Coming up on 609, Bill Morneau stepping down from his post as Canada's finance minister and as member of parliament for Toronto Centre, saying as Canada continues to work towards economic recovery amid the novel coronavirus pandemic, it is the right time for a new finance minister to deliver on that plan. With reaction from Ottawa, we're joined now by Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. Hi, Mercedes. Hi there. Thanks so much for joining us. So is is this truly a blockbuster move and decision for the Trudeau government, or is this something that just simply had to happen? You know, it's it's a blockbuster move, and I think it had to happen. So I think it's kind of both. Um, Bill Morneau and Justin Trudeau were at loggerheads. This was not a new phenomenon, but it was exacerbated by what happened with the WE scandal and the $41,000 that Mr. Morneau had not paid back uh, to the WE charity for a trip. So you can't have a finance minister and a prime minister who are discordant. You can have them butting heads in a positive and productive way. Uh, I used to see that a lot, for example, with Mr. Harper and Mr. Flaherty. Uh, Mr. Flaherty would tell him to take the flying leap regularly, but it was it was a very policy-oriented discussion. Uh, when you start to have other undertones and the kind of backstabbing we saw going on in both sides openly in the press, uh, that can become very damaging. And for Mr. Trudeau, he wants a finance minister that will carry his vision forward. Um, a lot of people don't think Mr. Morrow shared that same vision with him. So the way that they've done this allows them to choreograph it to say, look, um, everybody wins. He just didn't want to be finance minister anymore, one of the most powerful positions of the government. Uh, doesn't want to run in the next election. Oh, well, there's not actually an election on the horizon yet. Uh, but he's going to be the secretary general of the OECD, potentially. He's going to run for that. And Mr. Trudeau backs him. So this wasn't about discord. This was just all about it being the right time. Uh, of course, there's not a lot of people in Ottawa who believe that this just spontaneously happened. Yeah. Why the loggerheads? Is it all over the we or is it uh, the controversy of the we scandal or is it pandemic relief? Is there are there more things at play here that maybe we don't really see? Yeah, all of the above. Um, so there has been very differing policy positions between the prime minister and the finance minister for some time on a lot of big files. Uh, there's been reports out there that that was uh, elevated again during the pandemic where the finance department wanted to do a lot of analysis. And the prime minister's office was saying, we just need to get the money out the door. We don't have time for this. Um, and then on top of that, things like the green shift and how much debt and deficit the country wants to go into. So there was definitely uh, not a case of seeing eye to eye for some time. 
but recent months have kind of just uh, piled wood onto that fire, I think, and, and made it to the point where two were just not able to interact uh, as effectively as I suspect either of them would have liked to. Uh, who was more on the let, let's keep spending in terms of pandemic relief side? Because I assumed that that was the prime minister, but is it true I'm hearing that it, it was more Morneau who was let's keep just you know putting that money out there to help Canadians? I don't know specifically, mm-hmm. but... My impression um, from sources I've talked to is that it's the opposite, okay. that the prime minister wanted to spend okay. um, and that he wanted to spend very quickly. And, and an example of that would be the wage subsidy. Uh, the finance minister suggested 10 percent. The prime minister bumped that to 75 percent. So if that's an indicator for the broader things, and, and it may or may not be, um, that would suggest that the prime minister wanted that and that Bill Morneau, who came more from a business background, is maybe not so keen to have a huge deficit in debt as his legacy. Okay, makes sense. Now, who is on the short list to replace him? And, and are we expecting an announcement as early as this morning, potentially? It could be. So here's the thing. We get the prime minister's agenda every morning. We know where he is vaguely, not specifically because they don't like us following him around. Uh, but we know <laughs> what what part of the country he's in. Um, when I got on the phone with you, I hadn't seen it yet. It may have come out in the last couple of minutes. That's unusual. It's normally out by just after 7 a.m. So that may be because the itinerary is not locked in today, although we've heard he could wait as long as Wednesday. It's very unusual. We don't have a finance minister right now. There's not an interim. Uh, as for who, well, it's not Mark Carney. I can tell you that. Senior government official has told us it is not Mark Carney. He's not taking the job. Um, so that leaves potentially uh, Jean-Yves Duclos, uh, François-Philippe Champagne, as those are two very high-profile ministers in the cabinet right now. Uh, of course, Champagne is foreign affairs. Or Christopher Freeland, who's already basically the minister of everything. Uh, <laughs> she would be Canada's first uh, woman to be finance minister. Uh, and you know that this government likes to set that precedent. But pulling her off the file with the provinces is a bit of a high-risk move for them because uh, she's managed to have a really positive relationship with Jason Kenney and Doug Ford at a critical time when the government needs that, too. Right. So uh, we shall see. Uh, the opposition says this makes Canada look bad, makes the Liberal government look bad, obviously, in terms of the international stage, not having a finance minister, particularly at a crucial time like this when we're in a difficult uh, you know, pandemic period. So is that true, do you think? I I think it's highly unusual for a finance minister to step down in the middle of a financial crisis and a pandemic. Um, By the same token, it'll all depend on how the international community sees Canada's financial performance. Uh, And, of course, the one thing that this this government uh, continuously benefits from is we're right next to the Trump administration. So, (laughs) you know, when you compare to what's going on down there everything up here seems overshadowed a bit. And, and that, to some degree, has benefited them. But the whole OECD thing and Bill Morneau wanting to be the Secretary General, that'll be really interesting because that'll give us a sense of what the global community really thinks of Canada's finances. Right. He, he Morneau, still under an ethics investigation relating to the WE scandal. Where does that go now? So that is a good question. Uh, if he's no longer an MP, I'm not really sure what happens with that. This is unusual to have him step down as an MP too, which also tells you he's done done with politics. Uh, remember that Mr. Trudeau is still under investigation, so that continues. Uh, we will check with the ethics commissioner's office today. I suspect there might still be a report that's issued as sort of a lessons learned, but obviously once you're an MP, you're no longer subject to that particular uh, legislation. That said... That legislation really has no teeth anyhow. So it's, it's not uh, that he's out from under the sword of Damocles. Is this a good thing or a bad thing for Canada's economy going forward, do you think, Mercedes? You know, uh, as a reporter, I never want to say good thing, bad thing, but I'll 
say this. On the one hand, it is shocking a finance minister would step down. On the other hand, this entire agenda financially with the pandemic has clearly been driven by the prime minister's office, um, and that hasn't changed. So you still really in some ways have the same hands guiding things. Uh, So far, at least anyhow, it doesn't look like we're expecting the markets to take a big hit. According to BMO, they put out a thing this morning saying that the markets are just kind of kind of shrug at this. Um, So we'll see where that goes. Uh, is this unprecedented for Canada in, you know, to lose a finance minister like this in the middle of, uh, you know, a, a critical time, a financial crisis, really, to, to not have a finance minister at, at this point? It's highly, highly unusual. I wouldn't say never because I'm not sure, but I can tell you um, that this is, is unusual and certainly, well, we don't get many pandemics, so yeah. this one's unprecedented, <laughs> that's for sure. True enough. Uh, priorities moving forward for any new finance minister. How do you get Canada out of the mess? I mean, most countries in you know a big mess because we've had to support our people during an unprecedented time. Yeah, there's going to be certainly big, big issues ahead for the next finance minister. And in a way, Bill Morneau is getting out of the way. Uh, he got to deliver the CERB. He got to deliver the big programs with money. He's not going to be the guy who has to figure out how you pay that all back or Sh- if you do. Shocking in Ottawa or not so shocking that this really happened? Shocking. I think it's shocking in the sense that I mean, he is one of the most powerful men in the government, powerful people in the government, um, and to step down during a pandemic and a financial crisis in such a public manner with so much sniping. Um, but hey, remember um, John Cretchen and Paul Martin. Mm. So this is not unprecedented. Absolutely. We'll be listening this morning and maybe an announcement comes uh, before we even get off the air. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to talk to you. Thanks. That's Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. It's 617. It's time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, Calgary's newest and best master planned community. Seeing nice dry road conditions across the city for your Tuesday morning drive. Uh, area highway is in excellent condition if you're on your way in from Airdrie. QE2 seeing nice light volume heading on to southbound Deerfoot. And then it's a nine-minute drive to reach Memorial Drive. So pretty good start there. As well as on the southeast end of Deerfoot, you've got a nine-minute drive northbound between Stony Trail and 17th Avenue. If you're continuing into downtown this morning, Memorial Drive looking excellent towards the 4th Avenue flyover. There is some ongoing construction, though, on Center Street, if that's your route downtown. Two-way traffic at 3rd Avenue southeast so just south of the bow river that's continuing that could cause you a small slowdown but 14th street over on the west end that's moving smoothly and heading off of crochelle memorial and bow trail eastbound out towards 14th street they're sitting problem free as well the big spin five dollar scratch ticket is here and you could spin the big wheel for a chance to win five hundred thousand dollars available at your lottery retailer for the 770 chqr traffic helicopter i'm Brady howard Well, with school resuming in September, a lot of parents, families now trying to decide what is right for their child's safety and education. Enter MindFuel, an online educational resource that can help. Joining us with details is Cassie Weber, CEO of MindFuel. Good morning, Cassie. Good morning, Sue. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Talk to us a little bit about MindFuel. What is this program? Well, we're a technology company, and so, you know, we have lots of online resources. We're a developer of the resources, and these ultimately focus on new skills development. And, of course, during, uh, you know, March 15th onwards, um, we very quickly removed all of the paywalls uh, on, on all of our online programs. 
so that students, teachers, and parents could could have unfettered access. Everyone was scrambling. And, of course, uh, here we are sort of midway through August, and, and nerves are high, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, anxiety certainly exists. And so, and so, you know, we continue focusing on um, doing whatever we can to help so that uh, students continue to get educated. So is this a way for, for teachers and parents to access information that might help them, whether the kids do go back to class or whether we're homeschooling this year? Um, very much so. I, I mean, we've, we've been around for over 30 years and we're really a pioneer in the online learning space. And um, an area of expertise for us, we are Alberta-based, we're based in Calgary, is Alberta's classrooms. And so just, you know, just in, in the, the pandemic period, the learn from home, um, we supported around 32,000 online learning sessions in Alberta. And, you know, what we learned, a um, couple key things, teachers... Um, we're really looking for um, instruction and support as as to how to continue driving student engagement when students are virtually situated. Very different when, you know, a a student is looking at a screen Mm -hmm. than when a student is in the classroom. And for parents, I mean, you know, parents were pulling their hair out trying to figure out... (laughs) You know, like, you know, what is it? What is it they can do to support? So, um, when I look at the ministries of education across Canada and, and specifically here in Alberta, um, I know that, like, Minister Lagrange and and all of the ministers in particular um, have an enormously difficult job, and you know they've done the right things. Uh, in terms of scenario planning, but nobody has a crystal ball. And, you know, ultimately, we want to all keep our students safe. We want to keep them properly educated. We need, uh, you know, contingency plans, but it requires all of us to come together and and constructively to come together so so that we have the right scenarios on hand, ready to activate, depending on what the COVID indicators are. And this might be a great opportunity for us to give that little extra to the students, whether in class or at home. I mean, you've taken, as you say, the cost away. So these programs are all free now through MindFuel. And, you know, maybe helping innovators or learning entrepreneurial skills, that sort of thing, yes? Very much so. So when we describe who we are, we're we're a technology company. We're part of the innovation ecosystem. Um, We are a developer of technology, but we're also a producer of youth skills development. And we operate as a nonprofit, which ensures that our programs are highly accessible. And it's through this nonprofit model that we're able to be highly efficient. So when we look at you know, what does that all mean? It means we have curricular resources, um, so resources that are aligned to the provincial curriculum. That's where teachers and parents really relied on us. 
um, particularly during COVID. But then we also have, you know, what are what are called extracurricular programs that focus on um, getting youth to develop skills in those emerging technology areas like nanotechnology, synthetic biology, machine learning, computational solutioning, artificial intelligence, robotics, all those sorts of things. And so when we look at what has shifted over the last five to six months, we see that um, a massive amount of resourcing um, moved to online and um, you know, there, there's rightfully some hesitation, uh, you know, as, as we move back to our, our various stages of relaunching. Um, there's, there's some hesitation as to how much, you know, in-person stuff we want. And so the good thing about MindFuel is, is we've got both. We can, we can very easily operate within technology environments, online environments. And then, you know, when the time is right, we can shift back to some of our face-to-face programming. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, we're, we're, we're expecting um, the same demand, if not greater, that, that we experienced in the, in the spring time frame from, from March 15th right up until the end of June. So obviously you're there as a resource for teachers and educators. What about, so can you give us a sort of a real world example? I'm a mom, I've got an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old. How am I using MindFuel? Uh, so we have uh, several several online platforms. One is wonderville.org. This is designed specifically for, it, it's got sort of, you know, portals, if you will, for teachers, parents, and students. And so if you're a parent, you can go into this online portal. You can search, you know, the grade, for instance. You can search by grade or by area of study or unit for your child and then a whole bunch of resources will will be presented and then you select the one that's aligned with the particular area of learning and those resources are um, uh, animations uh, games uh, that have been uh, really well architected Um, all of our resources are classroom tested and they're developed by educators for educators and then we focus test them in classrooms so we know they're effective Um, another resource we have is codingville.ca and that that's uh, in partnership with the federal ministry of innovation science and industry and so this teaches students it's 21 hours of uh, journey-based uh, learning where they will become proficient coders by the end of the 21 hours wow. there's also um, a, a uh, instructional section for teachers because not all teachers know how to teach coding right so yep. by the time the teachers move through this program they'll be uh, proficient uh, in order to facilitate a class and we'll reach 124,000 students in Canada by March 2021 wow and I mean you're, you're you've won awards for your your programs and it just looks like there's so much in there for boys girls different ages again for educators for parents it, it seems like a a really a one-stop shop for everything that we need as we send the kids back to school this year it it is and and you know we're we're passionate about what we do and at at you know the ultimate goal really is is to drive canada's innovation sector but the best way to do that is to focus regionally on programs that are relevant in each of of the different regions or provinces and territories in canada 
and it's through government partnerships and community collaborations that we're able to be, you know, the, um, the, the highly impactful organization that we are. We're an equalizer for girls. Um, for newcomers, we have programs for Indigenous students and students living in poverty. And, um, yeah, so any, any uh, you know, desire or interest, I would uh, encourage people to go to mindfuel.ca and there's, there's a whole bunch of information there and our programs are listed and ways uh, ways to be supported are also listed. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm going to uh, go online, have a little scoot around there for, and maybe uh, find some interesting little things for my kids to get into as well. Thanks for joining us this morning, Cassie. Thanks so much, Sue. That's Cassie Weber, CEO of MindFuel. And again, it is mindfuel.ca. It is uh, 917, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Enjoy established amenities, recreation facilities, and the leading school districts. Traffic's moving pretty smooth on Deerfoot, Glenmore, and Crowchild Trails, but in the northwest, still very slow on southbound Stony Trail between Crowchild and Nose Hill Drive, down to a single lane for paving there. That'll be continuing throughout the day. Uh, we've also got some construction continuing on McLeod Trail north of Heritage Drive. Watch for speed restrictions there in both directions, but you do have three lanes open in both, in both directions. Rush to your Subaru dealer for great rates starting from 0.5% at the Subaru Staycation Sale, plus enjoy a lease bonus of up to $1,000. For the 770 CHQR Traffic Helicopter, I'm Freddie Howard. Helicopter, I'm Freddie Howard. Prior to COVID-19, in fact, back in 2016, the team at the Rehabilitation Robotics Lab at the University of Alberta started working on a project that would give people in rural Alberta access to specialist rehabilitation assessments. Now, normally people in those areas would have to travel to Edmonton, for example, from places like Peace River or Grand Prairie in order to meet with a specialist. So we're hearing now more about this program from Martin Ferguson Pell, who's a prof at the Faculty of Rehabilitation Medicine at the University. University of Alberta. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Morning, Sue. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about, okay, specialist rehabilitation assessments. What exactly are we talking about here? Well, there are a lot of them, but to get started, we've looked at four of them, and um, they include um, people who have balance issues, vestibular issues, uh, people who have severe shoulder pain or shoulder instability, uh, people who are recovering after their surgery for a hip or knee replacement, and also people who need a special wheelchair or seating system in their wheelchair. So those are the four areas we started with. But there are lots more over time that we could start to look at as well. Now, was this something that rural folks were really calling for, this kind of a service, and to be able to do it from home? Yes. Well, the difficulty is, there are several difficulties, right? One of them is obviously the travel issue mm -hmm. in that, if you're living in rural Alberta and, let's say, you mentioned Peace River, um, you need to travel down to Edmonton for an assessment um, in order to really find out how you should go forward in terms of either strengthening after your hip or knee replacement or how to deal with the dizziness that you have from a vestibular condition. Then you're talking about five and a half hour trip. And if that's in the middle of the winter, not only is it you know, really inconvenient, a long way to go and expensive, but also it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so if we can avoid um, the need for people to come down for relatively short assessments by linking them up using uh, virtual health, then I think we can improve access to care and improve outcomes for patients with these kinds of conditions. The difficulty is that in, in the rural areas, there is less availability of specialists who can provide these kinds of care. So there are excellent general clinicians who are really 
outstanding in the breadth of what they can do. But when these specialist things come up, they have less experience in, and, and less um, uh, 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 really the skill level necessary sure. uh, to be able to do the top level assessment that we would need. And so that's what we're trying to do through this connection to a specialist in an urban center like Edmonton or Calgary. Now, Martin, this would not take the place of you know, some of the necessary face-to-face or hands-on type meetings, but would this be sort of prior to a surgery or, or afterwards, uh, a, a kind of a checkup? Yep, it could be both. Um, so it could be to determine whether you're ready for surgery, for example, if it's a shoulder issue or a hip or knee um, uh, arthritis problem, um, or it could be uh, another situation where maybe after surgery you need to make sure you're progressing well and we're getting the best outcome from that surgery that we possibly can. Now, this is something obviously for folks in rural Alberta to access. Is this something then that could translate in the future for, for people anywhere, whether you're within the city limits or not? I mean, it just seems a smart way to be able to do it. Far more of a time saver for everybody involved, right? Absolutely. So, um, yes, I believe that we can do this effectively. And I think COVID has taught us that in that increasing numbers of assessments are being done. Um, using virtual health and I think some of the perceived barriers of, of doing it have sort of fallen away as a result of the need to do it during COVID and the other area is for people in long-term care who it may be unsafe for them to leave not long-term care in order to get an assessment in a clinic setting or it may be preferable to reduce that risk and so the opportunity to connect the person to a specialist into their long-term care facility to get the assessment could be very beneficial to that community as well. Makes great sense. Now, we've got lots of rural listeners who are hearing this interview right now. If this is something that they're thinking, wow, that makes a lot of sense, I, I would be interested. How do they go about finding if, if this is something they could use to do you know, a, a, a virtual assessment then? So this is a project that um, was funded by Alberta Innovates and Pfizer um, in order to demonstrate feasibility. And so... Obviously, because we're based in Edmonton, the tendency has been for us to um, reach out to communities in the north. And so at the end of this year, what we will have developed will be a sort of clear specification as to how you can do this and provide these kinds of assessments anywhere in Alberta. And so the next step in what we need to do is to do what's called spread and scale. And that means start working in other communities um, spread the um, the reach of what we're doing. And, of course, one of the priorities for that is going to be to extend the reach out into rural communities in the central zone and in the Calgary zone as well. So for people in Calgary right now, um, we're not really able to help right this moment. But the work we're doing, I think, is going to show the potential of how we can start to put these kind of capabilities in place uh, for people in southern Alberta as well. And at this stage, it is a project rather than a service that's being provided. And so what we have to do is transition this from a project into a service that people can routinely access. Makes sense. Great work, Martin. I think it's going to be a, you know, a project that eventually will, will change things dramatically. Thanks for the update. Thank you, Sue. Bye for now. Bye-bye. That is Martin Ferguson-Pell, who's professor at the Faculty of Rehabilitation Medicine at the University of Alberta. 8.17 now. It's time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, a mix of unique single-family homes, townhomes, and condos. Well, we just flew back up to check.
check up on that collision northbound on the QE2 after Cross-Iron Drive. That is now cleared up. Southbound lanes of the QE2 moving smoothly on a Deerfoot Trail. It's nine minutes from Stony Trail down towards Memorial. We were seeing some delays on northbound Deerfoot out of the southeast between Douglasdale Boulevard and Southland Drive. Looks like those are now easing as we uh, as we head to the end of the morning commute. We're heading back down towards the Glenmore Reservoir, though. We have a right lane closure on southbound 14th Street again today. It's right around 90th Avenue and will be in place throughout the day. So watch for that minor slowdown, but northbound lanes to 14th Street running smoothly up to Glenmore Trail. And Glenmore Trail itself, eastbound lanes still sitting at about that eight-minute mark between Thirsty Trail and Deerfoot. A little bit of that glare factor to contend with as well. The Big Spin $5 scratch ticket is here, and you can spin the big wheel for a chance to win $500,000. Available at your lottery retailer. Up in the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Freddie Howard. 642. At the start of the pandemic, we were told to sanitize, to wipe down our groceries, packages, doorknobs, counters, toilet seat handles, you name it. We were worried that contaminated objects might be a way of contracting COVID-19. So is this something now as scientists and, uh, you know, health officials have learned so much more as we've gone along? Is it something we still need to worry about? To discuss, we're joined this morning by Dr. David Dowdy, Associate Professor of Epidemiology at Johns Hopkins University. Good morning, David. Good morning. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. I mean, it's something that we still are talking about. What do we need to clean and disinfect still to this day? Obviously, our hands are priority one. What about the rest of of, of the things that we encounter daily? Well, I think you said it, um, is that hands are priority number one. Um, Everything else, it it doesn't hurt to sanitize, but but I don't think it's as critical as, as getting those hands clean. What do we know about the virus now at this point? I know there's been so much learning going on over the past few months about the virus being able to survive on surfaces. Where are we with that knowledge? Well, so I think we know that the virus can survive on surfaces for at least short periods of time. But um, but the amount of transmission that's occurring through surfaces is probably much less than that occurring through uh hand-to-hand contact or um, or through the air. Let's talk about that short period of time. Do we have some specifics for certain, to- um, you know, countertops, for example, or cardboard, that sort of thing? Uh, not really. It depends a lot on the uh, on the environment, but uh, you know, on the on the order of. Uh, a couple of hours maybe okay so it's all about hand washing and being careful about you know being around other people so what what do you as an epidemiologist what's your advice for us as we move forward i think the the advice is to always be aware that um that anything that you are touching or contacting could be a a source of infection either of you or if you have the virus of, of someone else and so just to be careful cognizant uh, again especially your hands and your face um, make sure that you're you're maintaining distance from from other people as much as you can uh, avoiding large gatherings uh, washing your hands um, and and just being again alert um, that that there's always a risk of infection wherever you go do you personally disinfect surfaces we want to know what you would do so maybe we can take some knowledge on, on that as for ourselves uh, Personally, I, I I wash my hands a lot more than I used to, but I I don't go around with uh, with alcohol wipes wiping down my my cell phone or my steering wheel or, or my my doors. I um, you know again I I try to to be careful if I'm going into a grocery store wiping you know 
wiping those sorts of things down if other people have been um, handling them, but, but I'm not too strict about them in my own home is is more obviously the the particles moving through the air and and being in close proximity to other people then is that our main concern still at this point yeah so i think um particles moving through the air and again through the hands right so so if you shake someone's hand and then you take your hand and then and touch your eye touch your mouth like that sort of thing is is very high risk contact but but to think about the the number of, of virus particles that would have to survive if someone, for example, sneezes and then have to touch a, um, a grocery cart and then comes out of the store, leaves it there for a while, then you come, touch that cart, and then you have to, from your from there, get it into your, your face as well. So if you're always washing your hands, it's very unlikely that, that anything's going to get from these surfaces into, um, into your body. Are there a few, though, that you would recommend that we just be, you know, shopping carts, obviously, and that was even before the pandemic, but we need to be, you know, super aware that they can harbor grossness and, and germs, et cetera. <laughs> are there other things that are, you know, high-touch surfaces that we, we should really co- sort of be cognizant of and, and maybe doing a, a quick wipe down of? Well, so it is worth at least thinking about um, where you put your hands and therefore where other people put their hands too. So doorknobs, for example, uh, toilet seats, etc. cetera. Um, anything that you're touching, someone else probably has touched as well. But if you are washing your hands and making sure that, that your hands are clean anytime uh, before you're, you're touching uh, your face, then, then you're protecting yourself pretty well. Being diligent and just uh, remembering to wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, correct? Exactly. Thank you so much for the advice. Always a great reminder. Appreciate talking to you this morning. Thanks so much for having me. That's Dr. David Dowdy, Associate Professor of Epidemiology at Johns Hopkins University. 647 now, it's time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Life happens at hellowestdistrict.com. Trail 24th Avenue, the northwest outside McMahon Stadium. Checking out that southbound drive. If you're heading out from Stony Trail, you've got 10 minutes to reach uh, the Bow River. So nice and light so far this morning. Even heading off onto Memorial Drive and Bow Trail towards 14th Street in the downtown core. That's going to be great options for you. Center Street still ongoing some construction, though, at 3rd Avenue southeast. So just south of the Bow River, you're going to see two-way traffic in effect there. That may cause you a slight slowdown. But over on the east side of downtown, looks like Memorial Drive is moving well off of Deerfoot all the way towards that 4th Avenue flyover. Already earning PC Optimum points on groceries and health and beauty. Well, you can earn even faster when you fuel up at SO and Mobile stations. Visit PCOptimum.ca for details. Up in the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Freddie Howard.